It is uh, really good to be with you get together, family. Um, it was really good to be with uh, our brothers and sisters during the first service, and it's also good to be with all of you who are watching from home and on YouTube, and we, uh, we thank you for joining us. Um, right now, what, what, one of the great things is that no matter where we're at, God is present with us, and we are the family of God. And so... Um, uh, like Pastor Eric was saying, we are starting a series called Home, and we're going to be discussing what it means to be in community with one another. And especially with this pandemic going on and people experiencing heightened senses of isolation right now, it is difficult to experience that sense of community. And so we're going to be hearing what God has to say in his word about what it means for us to be with one another as the family of God. And before this COVID-19 kicked in, it was already incredibly difficult to have a community, let alone a biblically Christian community. So in order to, to be a real community, to be the large family of God that he wants us to be, we're going to be digging deep and thinking deeply about the flaws and the imperfections and obstacles that we bring into the equation that prevent us from experiencing that sense of community that we all long for. Now, I grew up in the Christian faith in a number of different churches all throughout my life, and I have been blessed with experiencing deep relationships, with experiencing the love and care that so many brothers and sisters have brought into my life. But I've also experienced deep senses of betrayal and hurt. And I've seen the, 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 the problems that can come about because of the dysfunction that, that happens within the church. And it can be really difficult to rebuild your trust when that stuff happens. So we're going to be hearing what God has to say through the Apostle Paul about this issue. And there's no better person to hear about than the Apostle Paul on this because no one other than Jesus loved the church more than Paul. When we say church, we mean the, the, the men and women and children who make up the, the, the church, the, the people who believe in Jesus and have chosen to follow him. He talked about the church in some of the biggest ways that anyone ever could. He described the church as a beautiful bride— as the family of God, the very sons and daughters of God. He described us as a gorgeous temple that he's building with each and every member that's added on. And he describes the, the, the church as a treasure, a prize, an inheritance that Jesus is going to get when he comes back. But despite all of these great things that he says about the church, Paul is not deceived about the realities of church life. He has experienced all the flaws, and, he's aware, and he was aware of the imperfections that we bring into the equation. His letters are full of instructions and solving scenarios that you only find in soap operas. You've got people who are sleeping with their father's wives. You've got church members that are getting drunk during church service. You've got betrayal, false teachers coming in and teaching wrong things. You have lies and gossip, everything. 
But despite all of this, Paul loves the church and talks highly about her. And so we're going to see a specific letter that he wrote to the, the, the church in Thessalonica. The, it's the letter 1 Thessalonians. Now, 1 Thessalonians is written to the church of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a young church. Paul had been there all of three weeks and started a church. Can you imagine starting a church in three weeks? <laughs> so he started, started this church in three weeks and you've got all these people that just started believing in Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he gets kicked out of the city by the religious leaders and the, poli- and, and, and the political leaders who didn't like his presence there. And so you have this young church that just started believing in Jesus, and they have no idea what it means to follow Jesus yet. And all of a sudden, the person that told them about him is no longer with them, and they have to figure out what it means to follow Jesus all on their own. And they're still facing the persecution that kicked him out of the city in the first place. So they had every reason to give up and throw the towel in, and but they don't. They get together, they stick their nose in their Bibles, they see what it means to follow Jesus, and they pray together and do it together. And so Paul is, is writing to them, after the fame of their faith has already reached across the Mediterranean world. And he's encouraging them through the persecution that they're still facing and gives them instruction on some of the things that he wasn't able to do when he was there. Particularly, he instructs them on what it means to be the community and family of God and gives them this particular instruction in the passage we're going to talk about today, which is do not give up on one another. So let's open our Bibles. We will be in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 15. 1 Thessalonians is right after Colossians and right before 2 Thessalonians. And it will be in the last chapter of the book. Again, that's uh, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to start with verse 12 for context, and then we're going to end with 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And then verse 14. And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That's the word of the Lord, family. So, he begins this instruction to the church with telling them to respect their leaders, to respect the pastors and elders that are over their care. And that's a good instruction. We're not going to dive into that. But just as a reminder, family, our pastors and elders love us, and they take good care of us. And they are worthy of our honor and worthy of our respect. But then he switches from talking to them 
talking about how they're, they're supposed to treat their leaders to, to telling them how they're supposed to interact with one another. And he starts with that instru- with a first instruction. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Right off the bat, Paul starts with a hard one. Now, we don't usually refer to admonishing someone. When you are admonishing someone, you're warning them. You're firmly reprimanding them for something that's causing a problem in their life. Here he's telling them to admonish or reprimand the idol. This is the lazy person among you. And in the the second letter that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he describes these people a little bit more. There were some people in the congregation that were lazy And they weren't working for their own food. They were expecting other people to give it to them. On top of that, they were were not doing the works of the Lord. Instead, they were busybodies. They were busy doing other things that were either useless or harmful. And so Paul says, admonish those people. Put them on the direct path. But what we see here is this specific situation was lazy, was people who were being lazy, but it gives us a broader principle. Whether, whether someone around you is being lazy or sexually inappropriate or prideful or a gossip or a liar, anytime someone is allowing their, their commitment to Christ to take the back burner so that they can pursue sin— It's not just going to affect their life. It's going to affect the entire life of the church. When we ignore our brother's sin, it allows unhealthy patterns to start happening in the family. And and if you're a parent and you got multiple kids, you know what I'm talking about. If you allow one kid to do whatever they want and don't, don't correct them or discipline them, it's going to have negative effects for the rest of the family. That's why he says this is important. So we are to admonish or pull that person aside and, and, and correct them in private. Now, you don't want to do this every time someone's imperfections show. Because if we're doing church life right, imperfections are going to pop up all over the place. But when someone is in regular, unrepentant, character-defining sin, we need to pull them aside and confront them about it privately. We can do this by pulling them aside and saying, brother, sister, I love you, but these are some things that I'm seeing going on. I could be wrong, because you could be, but, but this is what I see taking place. And tell them specifically what it is that you've seen, what you've heard, and what's been going on, so that they know what's going on and they can address it. And then tell them, you know, I love you and I don't want that sin to to be something that affects your, your relationship with Christ. How can I help you? How can I help you fix this and deal with your sin? And what's, what's wonderful about this is it's not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of the person you're talking to. Because when we, when, when, when we ignore our brother's sin, they're scorned. Sin ignored is a brother scorned. 
You see, when we take their sin seriously and talk to them about it, it wakes them up to the reality of their sin. It's like a defibrillator. When someone's heart stops working or it's working poorly, they take the defibrillator to them, right? And their body jolts up. And all of a sudden, their heart starts working properly. Now, there's still a healing process that needs to take place. They're still going to need some medical help. But it starts that process for them. So when we bring people to the awareness of their sin and the consequences of it, what we're doing is we're allowing them to start on a healing path. And when we're confronting someone, what we're saying is, your relationship with God is too important for me to ignore what's going on. So let's do this together. And it keeps you from sin. Because when you see someone else in, in sin or disobedience or something that's a break in their character and you don't talk to them about it, you're not doing nothing. You're talking to somebody else about it. You're going to go to someone else and talk about what that person is doing. And you gossip. And when you gossip, what you're doing is you tear down their reputation without them giving them the opportunity to, to fix it. And so we cannot give up on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to call them out when they're doing something that's not for their own benefit. So don't give up on your brothers and sisters and admonish them. And then that brings us to the the next command in verse 14, which is to encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. Now, you probably don't describe your emotions as being, oh man, I'm feeling very faint-hearted today, right? (laughs) Faint-hearted, though, means to be weak-hearted. It means to be timid or afraid or discouraged, and we felt that way. That's something that we feel sometimes on a daily basis. And tell me, during this 2020, there's been a time where you felt afraid. You know, with, with police shootings happening uh, almost every, every other week, it seems, on the news, with riots breaking out all across the country, and everyone who's got kids trying to figure out what to do with their kids for, for CPS or schooling, and teachers and staff not knowing exactly what to do, we can feel discouraged. So this is the time when the church needs to step up. We need to encourage one another, build each other up, because the problem of a, faint, uh, of a faint-hearted heart or a weak heart is a problem of fear or lack of faith. So when we encourage our brother, we are taking their courage seriously. They need to be courageous and brave right now. And you're the one who can help them do that. So don't give up on your discouraged brother or sister. And then he, he says that, sec, that second part of that, part of that, of that kind of command, help the weak. Now, when we say help the weak, notice that he doesn't tell you what kind of weakness. It can be spiritual. It can be physical. It can be emotional. It applies to all of it. So that all of us are both the recipient and benefactor of this command and also supposed to give out the helping of this command. 
No one's excluded from this. You can be, you can be sick or recovering health-wise and call up a sister and tell, her, and tell her and encourage her when she's feeling worried in her faith with Jesus. And notice here the, the type of people that these commands are geared towards. It's to the, the idle, those struggling with sin, to the, the faint-hearted and the weak. The church is for the struggling family. The church is for the struggling. So when you come to church on a Sunday, you're not coming for yourself primarily. God intended it for you to be watching out for those in your life around you who are struggling so that you can help them and come alongside them. Don't give up on on your weak brother or sister. And, And when he says here to help the weak, that word help has some different connotations in the Greek that that we maybe not typically would think about. That word help implies clinging to someone. It it implies holding on, grabbing your brother or sister in Christ and holding them by the shirt and keeping them up. And this isn't a holding on like Jack and Rose from the Titanic. It's a terrible movie. I don't care how good the music is, it's a terrible story because you've got this, this, these two young, young uh, men, man and woman who fall in love. And it, by the way, if I'm spoiling this mover for you, I'm sorry, but it did come out in the 1990s. So, um, they, so, so they fall in love on the cruise ship, the Titanic. And while they're in the middle of their, their cruise, it, it, the, the ship sinks in the middle of the Atlantic. And so Rose and Jack find themselves trying to survive in the ice-cold waters of the North Atlantic. And Rose is floating on a part of the ship, and, and she's holding on to Jack while he's trying to stay afloat. And, and she, she's holding him, and she goes, I'll never let you go, Jack. And what does she do just a few moments later? She lets go of him, and he sinks to the bottom of the ocean. We are not to hold on to each other like Rose and Jack. We're, all, we're supposed to hold on to each other like soldiers who, who pick up a wounded soldier and drag them to safety. That soldier's not letting go. And what does that look like? That looks like us picking up the phone and calling one another. It looks like when, when one of one of our family loses their job coming alongside and helping them it looks like joining an rc one of our real community groups where you're committed to spending time with people every week and encouraging each other it'll look differently depending on the situation and the person but you cannot give up on your brother or sister in christ when they are weak and this can be really difficult family Because it can be very easy and tempting to give up on one another. Because it's hard. It is hard to bear with with one another's burdens. I mean, it can be difficult to be honest and confront someone about their sin. It's very tiring to walk with someone through their discouragement and fear. It can be exhausting to, to, to hold on to a brother or a sister in Christ when they're, when they're going through suffering and weakness 
Because usually their weakness doesn't go away overnight. Community, real community, is hard. That's why Paul says here in verse 14, at near the end, be patient with them all. No matter what it is, be patient with them all. Because right now, all of the stresses of the world around us, COVID aside, is pushing us apart. The whole world is trying to push us apart. But when the world pushes us apart, we need to press into one another. We need to be patient with one another through the tension and push in until it's comfortable. Because anything worthwhile will be uncomfortable. And when it's difficult and we're tempted to give up on our brother or sister in Christ, we need to remember that that one of the key things is we are products of someone else's patience. We are products of someone else's patience. And I don't live perfectly to to these kind of things. There's many times where I do not admonish a brother when they need it. When I don't encourage someone the way that I should. And I don't help the weak. In fact, I've often been the recipient of it. I've had to have people confront me about my sin and lead me to repentance. I've been discouraged and had to have someone come alongside of me and and encourage me. I've had to have a, a brother pick me up when I was weak. Throughout my life, even here at this church, I mean, I've been here since June of 2016, and many people here in this room and watching online and, and from the first service have had to be patient with me many times. There's people throughout my life who've had to deal with my imperfections and flaws. And I am a better man and servant of Christ because of it. I am a product of other people's patience. So we can't give up on our brother or sister in Christ because God doesn't give up on us. And that gets even more difficult because here, these first three commands are just dealing with each other's flaws. But we need to deal with each other when we see each other's dark side. Look with me at, at verse 15. Verse 15 says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So we are not to repay one another evil for evil. We're not just imperfect people. We can be mean people. We can really cut each other, not just accidentally, but intentionally. And so when that happens, because it will, the Bible tells us that we cannot repay our brother evil for evil. We need to instead love them. When they make themselves our enemies, we love our enemies, according to, to Christ's command on the Sermon on the Mount. We seek their good. And we don't just make sure that we're not retaliating or do something to to give them what they deserve, we are to actively do what's in their best interest. We're to to love them, find ways to show them honor and respect and treat them as the people who God sees them to be. 
And notice here what the passage says. It doesn't just say that you're supposed to watch your own heart. It says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. We are commanded to make sure that no one in our community is seeking revenge. That no one is giving themselves over to anger. Because what anger does in the heart is it corrupts it. And so we need to keep a ch- we need to be so close when it comes when it comes to our relationship with other people that we can know what makes them angry. And when we do that and we keep an eye on one another, it allows love to flourish instead. Because the cycles of revenge and bitterness will destroy a church. But a church that watches one another's hearts will grow. Now, these things that we've been talking about, these five commands, when you read them initially, they're easy to dismiss as easy, as things that maybe you already do. But as we take a a closer look and we look at our own hearts, we can see that doing this right is impossible. It's something that we can't do. No matter how committed our church is or any other church is to following these commands, and no matter how good our leaders are, We cannot live like the community that God describes us to be. But the good news is, is that where we can't do it, Jesus has already done it. He is a good God. And he has, he is the one who convicts us of our sins. He's the one who who says, when you allow anger to fester in your heart against your brother, you're murdering them in your heart. He's the one who says, when you look at a man or woman with lust, you're committing adultery in your heart. He's the one who draws us away from our sin so that we can turn our lives towards loving God and loving our neighbor. He's the one who lifts up the head of the discouraged and afraid. He, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. He's the one who sees and lifts up the weak. And he is patient with all of our imperfections and sins. Despite all of our disobedience and sin, he does not repay us evil for evil and he does not treat us as enemies. Instead, he seeks our good. He sought our good by taking on our humanity and becoming a man. And living a life that we couldn't live with pain and weakness and all of that still attached. And he saw the the punishment of death that we deserved for our sin and said, I'll take that. He took the sin and and the power of punishment that it had over us And he killed it with the death of his own body on the cross. And he sought your good so hard that he went down into the grave and back out on your behalf. So that when we put our faith in him and choose to follow him with our lives, we not only get peace with God, but We get a father in God. We get a family in Jesus. And that's one of the the key blessings that we have in the gospel is that Jesus gave himself 
so that we could be a gift to one another. One of the blessings of the good news of Jesus is that we have an eternal family. And he doesn't leave us to figure out what it means to be a family on our own. When Jesus ascended to heaven after his victory and resurrection, he took the the seat on the throne where he reigns, and he left us with his Holy Spirit, his presence. And his Holy Spirit is here in this place. He's among us, family. So that when we can't figure it out, when we don't know what to do, he gives us the courage to confront one another about our sin. He gives us the words to encourage one another when we're, when we're discouraged. And he helps us have the strength to hold one another up when it's needed. Community only comes from God. And so we can't give up on one another, family, because God didn't give up on us. And Jesus didn't just seek the good of those who were, at, who were already his people. Otherwise, most of us wouldn't be here. But he chose to seek the good of those who were not part of the circle already. And that's what we got to do, family. And for those of you here today who are not part of God's family, who wouldn't say that God is your father, that you haven't received the forgiveness that is offered to you in Jesus, that's offered to you here today. He hasn't given up on you yet. You can put your trust and faith in him and decide to follow him with your life. And what the Bible says is you will have peace with God and you are brought in and welcomed into our family. We welcome you, not because it's in our power to make that happen, but because we've been transformed by his love. You see, we're imperfect and we're a mess, but we've experienced the love of God and he's changing us. And God is going to turn us into something glorious. So you are welcomed into that today. Do not wait for that to happen. And as, as we seek the good of not just, not just um, those who are already in the church but outside of it, we see that's already in the passage. Look at the end of verse 15. He says, seek to do good to everyone and to all. He expands the circle. So we are to find ways to not only not repay evil for evil for those inside of the church, but also outside of the church. That call to seek the good, even when we face evil, extends beyond ourselves. And we're to to seek each other, seek their good. So we need to find ways that even in the midst of this COVID crisis, we can love on those in our lives. So despite the fact that we've got even more limited interactions with people, we are a creative bunch, people. God has gifted us with that. And so we need to get together with another brother or sister in Christ or as a family and make a list of people that we can, that we can love on and interact with and how we can do that creatively. You can join an RC where not only are we encouraging one another, but we're finding ways to actively do that around us. And God will do wonderful things. We cannot give up 
on our church family. We cannot give up on our families. We cannot give up on those outside, outside of our circles because God did not give up on us. And he is doing great things in your family, great things in this church, and great things in this city. So let's close in prayer and do this. Father, we, we love you, and we, we want to encounter you in our day-to-day lives, God. We want to be able to find ways that we can encourage each other through our sin and build one another up and help each other and deal with evil when it comes up in a loving way. I pray, Lord, that you would empower these things in our hearts. And, Lord, we thank you for the family of God. We pray, Lord, that you would turn us into even better sons and daughters of you. And we entrust ourselves to a good God this week. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. What promises we're singing there. In Christ's power, we can stand. He's coming back to take us home. Sin has no power over us ultimately because of Jesus. Man, uh, God has given us a reason to sing today, and what a, what a beautiful time we've had gathered. Josh, thank you for that word. That was such a blessing and challenge to me personally, I think to all of us. Would you agree, church? Man, uh, we praise God for that. Before we uh, just give you your blessing to leave, um, I want to just remind you guys about the two announcements I mentioned. The No Filter Singles event is this Friday. Please register at thebrookshy.com today, right now, before you leave. Um, we don't want you to miss out on that. And then Pastor Jeremy and Angelica are going to be out on the, uh, the front lawn uh, with the Emotionally Healthy Relationship books. So you can purchase them online, but then you can pick them up right there. And it'll give you information how to connect with the real community to do the kind of things we learned about today. Though that one another kind of commands, you know. Well, with that, I want to just give you God's blessing as we get ready to leave. The Lord bless you and keep you, church. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's our God, church. Go out in his grace and his strength. God bless you. We'll see you guys outside in the front lawn.